Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, the show on Racing UK, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Dave Audrey joins me, Katie Walsh with us as well. And you, you can try and come up with as many superlatives as you want about a horse like Alti or Katie, but the, the truth of it is that none seems quite adequate. He's just, a, he's just a very complete horse, isn't he? Yeah, and he's a lovely way of racing. You know, he's, um, he's not too keen. He seems like a really easy horse to ride as well, you know. Um, you know, he travelled lovely yesterday. One little blip at the second has to say he came up, came up quite a long way out and... <laughs> left his hind end on it but um you know it's straight back into rhythm not a bother on him and he jumped lovely the whole way down the back and you know I love watching the Tingle Creek the jumping is, is fantastic when they face down the back there it's just bang 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 and you just can't miss a miss a trick but um he traveled lovely and he won really easily like I think he flicked and won at yeah. the back of the last like he absolutely sluiced up but it was a lovely race to watch I thought it was a lovely race to watch because under so ran almost the perfect race he was in his perfect rhythm, beautiful, compact way of going, economic at his fences, run time to perfection. Ruby was getting absolutely the best out of him on ideal ground. He's won 22 races, nine grade ones, yeah. and he was brushed aside. Mm. It was wonderful, wasn't it? The, the, from this point on, when they've locked horns, it's, with Alto, it's a glorious inevitability of what, what you're going to see happening. You know he's going to engage overdrive at some stage, but what a run from under so in second. I mean, he's, he's made the race. He got his ground conditions, a lovely ride from Ruby. Look how far they're pulling clear of two of last season's leading novice chasers. It was this moment on now. He got in a bit tight to last maybe Altior, but on the run in, as you say, one tap from Nico and away he goes. And that's him, isn't it? It's that inevitability that he's going to get the job done with a style and swagger. And we're really being spoiled at the moment, are we, over recent seasons with the two mile chasers that we've, we've had on the scene? There's, and it's a great performance as well because that's their two first runs of the season, mm. you know. And they brushed, you know, it, they brushed the other two aside, you know. And um, I just thought it was uh, for the pair of them and their two first runs. I just thought it was a, it was a lovely race to watch. That's a very good point actually, because both the third and the fourth had had a, yeah. a, a run and an impressive win, and are yeah. both good horses in their own right. On on under so, is, do you think that rates as one of Willie Mullins? best training performances in a sense not yesterday necessarily but the development of this horse from being talented but a lunatic mm. to being about the most bankable horse in training you know I think 11 consecutive racing post ratings over 170 yeah that's pretty remarkable yeah and you know Virginia who looks after him does a great job you know because he hasn't he wasn't easy definitely in his younger days he was very flamboyant and very very free and you know he could come up anywhere but you know I suppose age everything you know you know she's um he knows his job now, doesn't he? And um, he was super back on punches down the festivals as well with Patrick. And 
you know, he's, um, and you know, like, what's lovely about these horses is that they're coming back year after year, no injury, you know what I mean? He sounds a bell and it's, it's, it's lovely to be able to see horses come back each season and that's a testament to, to every, everybody at home because it's, it's not easy to And that tier of special horses is just such a, a narrow tier at the top because you must have ridden tons and tons and tons of really talented horses who go and do it twice, three times and then say, I, 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 can't, I can't push myself through that again. Yeah, I think those horses that come back year after year, you just have great respect for it, don't you? The likes of your Undesu and your Kalo Star, you know, these horses that can just every year bang them out every year and, you know, the injury doesn't seem, they just don't seem to get it, you know what I mean? And, the, you know, to, to have them that sound, to be able to get their full potential out of them, there's loads of good horses, but they're delicate for whatever reason and, and you you see them and they're brilliant, but like your Sprinter Sacra for whatever reason, you see them and they're brilliant and next thing you don't see them and, you know, this... Um, but I think, you know, it's it's a huge training achievement to get horses to come back every year to be as sound and as fit and as hardy again, you know, because it's, it's a really hard thing to do. Dave, our expectations on these good horses seem to be so high now because the standard of training is so good. You look at a horse like Altiel, if he ever gets beaten over obstacles, it will be, there'll be sort of abject disappointment <laughs> where, where there shouldn't be, really. Absolutely not. And the thing, he is so reliable and these, these star names are. And what's been a really good feature the start of the current jump season is the big clashes have been taking place it's, we've got accustomed to the games of cat and mouse between now and now and the spring but Sam Crow rolled into Newcastle to face Bouverdere at a time when we were all thinking oh yeah sure mm. at the Betfair Chase all the big guns stood their ground when we were expecting one or two to blink the Tingle Creek it might only have been four but it was the four you wanted to see there and as you say we take it for granted Mike Bite gets beaten the the Betfair Chase and all of a sudden we're doubting Bouverdere Nicky's horse is outfit they're not right <laughs> And then in successive weekends, Bouverdere comes out and lays down his champion hurdle marker and Altior does that in the champion chase. We're blessed to have such good horses and fingers crossed that they stay sound and through to the end of the season because that's the key. I think it's key as well that um, Undusu came over yesterday. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? If Undusu didn't travel and he decided to go down to the Hillyway to yeah. play in Cork... It's quarter of the horse race, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, it's not like that was... that. Undusu made that race yesterday. Like it, like it or like it not, for, 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 for everyone to get the kick out of Altior, you mm. know, and it was, it, it was a race yesterday because, you know, Willie and the team decided to load him up and to bring him over. And similarly, you know, the presence of Sam Crow rendered Bouverdere's achievement last week even greater. I love yeah. the fact that we're getting top-class Anglo-Irish clashes way before Cheltenham. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, you know, I, I, I find as well, you know, that was a huge race yesterday to Dingle Creek, and, you know, it's, sometimes I find that the media and different people are pushing towards Cheltenham all the time. Mm. Instead of taking yesterday's performance for what it was, it was a great performance mm. and it was a great race to watch. We're lucky enough at home, we've got a tighter knit community of racing, so we have horses taking on each other every day of the week because they just have to. Yeah. Sometimes in England, when it's all spread out, you know, everyone will, everyone wants to win their beginner's chase or whatever it may be, or their maiden hurdle or their novice hurdle, and, you know, where are you going? Okay, he's going to go there, so I'll go there. You have the options and you have the choices. At home, it's you don't run Saturday, you know, you don't run Sunday, you know, or Thursday, that's it. So you have to run. So we're getting these great clashes all the time at home. And so we're lucky in that sense. Yet, of course, here we want racing every day. We're told we need racing every day. We're told we need more product. We need more horses to supply that product. But I'm not sure the economics of it are going to be sustainable in, in, in due course, are they, Dave? I don't think I completely agree. You look at the problems we've got with field sizes. I know it's been a, an unusually dry autumn and that's played a factor, but... 
the number of race meetings now where there's single figure single figure cards up every single race and you look at the six day declarations the same horses being entered and the same novice hurdles and kids I think are just pick and choose where they're going to go and you inevitably you're ending up with small fields and the, the horse population whether it's be the boom of all weather racing the the riches that are now on offer abroad elsewhere that maybe not as many horses are going jumping as at one stage was the case but it's nowhere near as competitive as it was or as competitive as the racing in Ireland is at the moment. Now, now Nicky Henderson is watching in our lavishly appointed green room at the moment. Good morning, <laughs> Nicky. Great to have you with us. Um, there was a tantalising possibility just thrown in the air that Altier would be left in the King George over Christmas. Now, I can't see it happening. I can, but, wouldn't it be wonderful? Oh, I mean, <laughs> they'd, sell out, they'd sell the place out tomorrow twice over. Yeah. The crowd yesterday was amazing. And it makes you appreciate... Corto Star, for example, doesn't it? That, that the legend that was, he was winning Tingle Creeks and went on and dominated the staying chase division. And it makes you realise how special these horses are. They've got that much innate ability, that ability to be quick enough for the minimum trip, mm. have the stamina for, for the staying trips, and just a sheer class and brilliance that can shine on any stage. And I think Altior's got that, but I must admit, if I owned Altior, would you go King George sporting-wise? Definitely. I, I think I'm... I, listen, I'm the kind of lunatic that would just say <laughs> run it. <laughs> but, but I'm never likely to be able to afford this horse, so it's it's not it's not a problem. Yeah, listen, it you, would you'll be, have a more sensible it appraisal. Be, I don't know what I. <laughs> yes, um, uh, it, it would be lovely to see it. I don't know, I don't know why Nicky's still in the green room and why we don't have him in here answering this question. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it would be lovely to see whether it happens or not. I I think it's a I think it's a, a, a tall order. But um, yeah, you know, he seems to have the class. He's the pace, and he stays. You know what I mean? It must be a lovely feeling to be going so easy over two. And, you know, the fact that, you know, he stays as well, you know, listen, who knows? I, I can't see it happening, though. If I was a betting person, I can't see it happening. We don't want to spoil everybody with too many good guests at once. That's why you just have to drip feed. You want them to keep watching to the end of the programme. There's method in the madness. Nick, so everyone watches this programme. Everyone does. Can we just clip that up for the, um, for the promo? Uh, Right, on to the Henry VIII novices chase. More success for Paul Nichols. Dynamite Dollars was the winner, and he overturned the Cheltenham form with Lawler, who Richard Johnson reported got rather stuck in the ground. Uh, if you were watching last night's full SP, Angus McNay made quite a cogent case for the idea that it could have been a run quick enough back off, uh, off the Cheltenham when looking at his overall profile. Whatever, he's better than this. But in the winner, Katie, it's, that, it's the old Paul Nichols story again, isn't it? It's a horse you kind of think you know where you are with, and he just gets a little bit more out of them and then makes them look like one that could actually go quite a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not, I'm I'm not overly gone on on the form of this race. Um, that's Henry's horse back in or newer, back in second. In second. And um, and what fears me a little bit, and I know that Hinkle Creek was a fascinating race, but um, you know Henry's horse's form on good ground, you know, and um, he seemed to handle that ground lovely yesterday. I know the reports were the ground was very wet and sloppy. I don't technically know how heavy it was. But Henry's horse is, 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 don't get me wrong, he is a good horse, but he's no star. The, the fear for me is that that wasn't, Lawler wasn't at the races, to be honest, I found. And um, he, maybe it was, it was too close from his last run, 20 days back to his last run. But I don't think you can make a comment on, on, on the way he ran yesterday. Mm. Um, I don't think it was a fair judgment of him. But um, um, I, I would have my fears about about the type of race that it was. That said, it was another grade one success for Paul Nichols and for Harry Cobden. Dynamite Dollars the winner, and Harry Cobden joins us on the line now. Morning, Harry. Morning, Nick. Uh, how highly do you rate this horse, Dynamite Dollars? Where, where do you think he, he might land up? 
Um, well, he's obviously improving all the time and um, turning into a nice horse. Uh, obviously, yesterday, uh, Laylor didn't sort of run to his best, but um, our, our lads are very, very consistent. He jumps great and um, he's going the right way all the time. He's still a youngish horse. He's not been overdone thus far in his career. I mean, do you feel he's a horse that still has more to offer? I mean, hopefully. He's only a five-year-old, so... Um, should have should have plenty of improvement left in him. Uh, you know, I, I know he hasn't exactly beaten a champion in second, but he's beaten a very good horse. So, you know, hopefully he'll improve and and you know he could turn into an, into a nice horse um, in years to come. What do you feel will be his absolute optimum conditions? Um, he likes soft ground. Uh, I'm not actually 100% convinced he's a to Milo, I think he'll end up wanting a trip one day. But um, you know, he, he's achieved a fairly high level over two miles. So if he improves with stepping up and tripping, you know, we could potentially have a nice horse on our hands. And right. what is it about him that gives you that feeling? Um, he's, he's, he's not a great workhorse at home. Um, he takes everything in his stride. He's very relaxed. He's laid back, and um, it just you know, I just felt that yesterday. In the last sort of 50 yards, he was he was well on top, and he he was idling a little bit in front. So I just think he he'd be better over two and a half one day. Uh, Harry, it's been a, a fine start to your your first season as an official stable jockey to to Paul Nichols. Um, are you enjoying it? Are you finding life any different? Are you are you finding it more pressurised? Uh, no, to be fair, it's exactly the same as it was last season. Um, you know, uh, last month had a very good month, had plenty of winners. Um, and this month is the same, really. Um, I just really, I'm, I'm enjoying riding uh, a, a very good calibre of horse, and um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, my career will go onwards and upwards from here. And we, we've got a lot of nice horses back in the yard at Ditchit that um, could be potential champions for the future. Which horses are you most looking forward to riding over the Christmas period? Um, I suppose, I suppose, Clander's Oboe might come out again. Uh, I wouldn't mind sitting on Politolog. We've got we got a few nice juveniles. Um, Kyle Destin is a lovely horse, so you know there's, there's plenty really. Um, we've got a few nice bump horses as well that are coming out soon. So you know, there's, 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 a, there's a there's a nice few horses that will be running. And a, and a good a good buzz around the place. Paul was saying last week when he was in the studio. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, Harry, thanks very much for joining us. Well done yesterday on uh, on Dynamite Dollars. Look forward to catching up soon. Cheers, Nick. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Harry Cobden, who's uh, enjoying a fine first season of Stable Rides to Paul Nichols. It's a high-pressure gig. There's no doubt about that. We know that. We spoke to the trainer last week. He was you know, readily admitting that. But he, he seems a pretty cool character, doesn't he, Harry Cobden? A fairly unflappable individual. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> I think that's the way you have to be. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it, it, people talk about sport and about horse racing, but um, you know, it's, you don't just have to be able to ride. You need to be able to communicate, and you need to be able to be a bit of a politician as well. On top of it all, and um, you know, you need to be able to come back into the parade and get down and to be able to talk to owners and talk to trainers and talk sense. And um, that that that's an art within itself. But um, he seems to be. Um, Flying at the minute and long may it last. It's like anything, Nick. When the horses are running well and the horses are winning, it's easy. It's it's when it's when the horses don't start to maybe run as well or that they you're not maybe you know 
performing the way you should be performing, that's when everything becomes a bit more difficult and, and they're, the, they're the hard times. Now, you won't mind watching... Well, I don't know. I was going to say you won't mind watching the Beecher Chase again because your horse is... Call, call it Magic. Call it Magic. Yeah. Ross's horse that um, finished fourth, still in front here. Um, it, this was pretty encouraging, whichever way you look at it. Yeah, Even absolutely. though you got pretty close to winning. Yeah. Um, he, he ran a cracker. He, um, he jumped from fence to fence. Um, I'd say Sam Wiley Cohn probably taking him on, crossing the Melling Road wasn't a help to us. Uh, we would have loved to have been handy, but maybe not. Maybe as he, he loves a bit of company, and uh, as soon as Sam got upside him, um, our fellas started to race him, and they jumped and jumped and jumped. And um, you know, I thought maybe come to the elbow, he was going to stop completely. But actually, at the end, I think the total was only five or six lengths. At not the been end. beaten you know, that he far. He keeps galloping. He galloped out around the bend, and I know he wears blinkers, but he's very, very Larry, you know, and. Um, you know, this, it was great, great excitement. Our hearts were jumping out to our chest. I was roaring like a lunatic anyway, that's all I know. <laughs> but uh, And the owners got a great kick out of it. So Orca Wentworth got a great kick out of it. And that's what it's all about. You know, you can go there and, you know, the people talk about nationals, they talk about beacher chases, but uh, you can go there and you can uh, you can tip up with the first, you know, tip up with the second, like many horses did yesterday. So it's great to get out over the last link up to the line. Well, you were thrilled. The owner was thrilled, but not as thrilled as this man, James Best, who that. was the winner on, on Walk in the Mill. Well back winner Walk in the Mill as well, beautifully produced by trainer Robert Wolford. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Delighted to say he's on the line now. Morning, James. Morning, Nick. How are you? That was, a, that was a lovely celebration. We're watching it. We're watching you enjoy every last moment of Walk in the Mill in the beach of Chase. Just give us an indication as to, as to why this was such a significant moment for you. Please, uh, just... Uh, you, you wait, you, you, like, growing up, you dream to be a jockey and uh, just to be given the opportunity to ride in a race as significant as that yesterday um, is great. But to be lucky enough to go, go and win a race of that significance, uh, yeah, just lucky dream about growing up, really, and uh, just felt very lucky and privileged. And when you went into the race yesterday, there was obviously a deal of confidence. The market told us that, the, the prep run told us that he was in good form. Um, just talk me through how you were feeling through the race. Uh, obviously, it's very different for a lot of races, but I was very confident going in that if we jump round uh, safely, he could run a big race and maybe run into a place and run well. Um, but throughout the race, over the first few, um, he jumped well and then got into a fairly nice rhythm. Landing over sort of the fourth last, I thought we were going to run a very big race and maybe finish fourth, thinking, well, well he's run, it, run really well, and I was happy how he'd run. And then, obviously, the further we've gone, the further he just kept galloping and stayed on well. Um, going in, I, I knew he'd keep galloping. That's, um, that's all he does, really, just keeps, keeps galloping well. But, uh, yeah, just all, all went to plan and worked out well. So Robert Wolf would say we might not see much of him between now and the and the Grand National. The way you the way you were suggesting he finished out the race, d does that mean you think he could could yet improve? Granted, an absolutely extreme test of stamina. I think so. Like I, I wouldn't see the threat of the National being a problem. As I said, you almost you almost never get quite get to the bottom of him that he he's nearly behind the bride a little bit in some of his races, but. He'll keep finding for you as well. And for for your uh, partnership with Robert Wolford, a, a pretty significant moment. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's 
been great the last this is the third season now. I've been riding a good few of Rob's and it's been very good to me over those last couple of years. We've had some very good days together and as you said, for both myself and Robert as a trainer going forward, it's, um, it was a massive day yesterday and hopefully onwards and upwards. And James, I, I remember some pretty exuberant celebrations in the past. You, you're, a, you're a guy that wears your heart on his, on his sleeve, really, and, and it's lovely to see when someone's actually enjoyed a, a moment like this and appreciates the significance of it as well. Definitely, yeah. I mean, as I said before, growing up, the dream of being a jockey and to be lucky enough to be a jockey day in, day out, I do genuinely feel very lucky, um, and especially days like that yesterday, they, they don't come round too often for for jockeys like myself. Um, so that's probably is. I, I probably went a bit crazy crossing the line and in the celebrations. But uh, I mean, you don't think at the time what you're going to do. It's just, it just, yeah, all sorts of emotions come out, and that's obviously how much it meant to me, I suppose. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. And welcome to Peter Phillips, Supremo behind City Racing. Exciting week for you. Yeah, no, it's been an exciting couple of weeks, actually. Mm. Um, and uh, we've uh, yeah, taken one step closer to making it reality. You have. And, and Dave, I think very much at the moment, it's, it's the theme that, that racing wants to find an angle, find something that's just going to get out there and capture the imagination, in addition to all the brilliant racing that we're enjoying at the moment. I thought we're, we're trying desperately in the media, as a sport in general, to tap into A, a younger audience, and B, the wider sporting audience. And I must admit, when City Racing, the first press release came round, the usual cynicism greeted it and thought, well, this would be short-lived. But I, th- I think the trial at Aintree went that well. Even the most cynical people in the press room, some of whom were up at Liverpool for it, are beginning to be won over. Logistically, this can happen. And as you say, if this is going to help us deliver the new audience, tap into the, the people at the minute who aren't enjoying the sport, aren't getting exposure to it, then I'm all for it. So, Peter, just, just tell us how you got involved in this in the, in the first instance. Did somebody come and deliver you the idea? Had you seen something that, that inspired you, that you thought this could sort of take racing to a, to a different audience? Well, um, it was a few years ago now. We, um, I put on a show jumping event on Horse Guards Parade, and this, uh, the surface that we used was um, delivered by Andrews Bowen, who did the 2012 Olympics. Mm. And, and it came in and went out so quickly that um, we started talking. And, and David and Simon had been uh, from Andrews Byrne had been wanting to do something in racing and been talking about how they can get into into racing for some time. And I said, "Well, come on, let's have, let's start having a conversation about how we can um, actually make this a reality." Um, and really, it, it, it went from there. And, and it, it was a bit of a, a slow burn to start off with, but um, we spent a lot of time working on on speed of entry and speed of exit, because one of the things that we wanted to be able to do, and one of the key selling points from a city perspective, mm-hmm. which was always the sort of the main, the main hurdle um, to, to start off with, was um, to be able to sh- create the minimal amount of disruption, yeah. um, but also create a maximum impact. Uh, and so it was really important that we knew that we could actually get in and get out really, really quickly. Um, so, for example, if we're actually given a street, if, we, if, if we're given a street on a Friday, we can be out by 6 o'clock Monday morning sort of thing. So that's the sort of time frame and the challenges that we set. And to be fair to um, the Andrews Byrne team, that, you know, they, ha- they amended a lot of their process in terms of how they, how they build the track and how they put it in. Um, and that, and, and we, we did a few trial runs, and, and we, can, we can pretty much do that. We, it's, it's, that. That was a key, key selling point to a lot of cities. 
So when you turn up to the mayor's office in New York and say, uh, Mayor, we're only going to shut down Manhattan for 72 <laughs> hours, what, what, kind of re what kind of reaction well, do you get? The, 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 the irony is that probably Manhattan's one of the easiest ones, uh, would be one of the easier ones to do, because it's based on a grid system. If you shut one section of it, it's right. easy to divert traffic round. So the slightly more complicated cities are the ones like London, whereby it's not done in a grid system. There are lots of one-way systems and so on and so forth. So that becomes slightly, slightly trickier. But once, once we start to explain to them how we, how we install the track, how we um, logistically are, are able to put it in um, and close sections of the road at a time, and we can keep cross, cross routes open and just fill them in at the last moment. So there's all these things that we can actually work with the city councils to make sure that we, actually, um, we, we can deliver on what we say we're going to deliver. So the idea is you would run six races over five furlongs yeah. straight, obviously, uh, and the surface is laid on the roadway on the Friday yeah. and you would race on the Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. And then that, that's the idea. So that, that, would give us, um, that would give us enough time to be able to condition the track, make sure we got it to the right, um, to the right standards for the racing. Um, five furlongs, uh, um, we, we wanted to make sure that this was a, a genuine under-rules race meeting because mm. if, if you went anything under five furlongs, you also couldn't gamble on it. It then becomes gimmicky. And if it's gimmicky, you don't get the sponsors in, in it because they see it as a marketing activity. And so it, it starts to lose a lot of its um, credence. So we, we had to make it a, a genuine under-rules um, race meeting. And, and that was one of the... Um, and, and then, yeah, condition the track on the Saturday, race on the Sunday, and then have the whole lot out, hopefully, by 6 o'clock Monday morning. Which racing jurisdiction has given you the most positive feedback in terms of wanting to completely embrace it? Well, um, obviously, the, the Jockey Club here are, are a partner of ours, um, and, and they've been hugely enthusiastic because they get the concept of it. They get the, uh, the, the fact that this has the ability to reach a, a, a new, a potentially a new audience, a younger audience, um, and, and more importantly, probably just engage with that audience to try and, um, to try and encourage them. So you know, if they have a fantastic day out in, in London or Paris or New York or wherever it happens to be, and they're up close watching these, watching these um, horses running, um, that they will then turn around and say, well, actually, do you know what? I might go to Kempton mm. and just see, see a, a proper racetrack or Sandown or wherever it happens to be. So, so they've been huge, hugely supportive. But actually, every jurisdiction that we've gone to around the world have said, yeah, we get it. And they said, we, we, we get this. We liked Obviously, they have the technical questions yeah. around, you know, the, the track, is it safe? And, um, and, you know, what are you doing about equine welfare and so on and so forth? And, and, and so once we talk through those processes, it's then, right, now we, now we take it on. We've got the support of the, um, uh, of the local jurisdictions. And we then go and together go and have those conversations with the cities. Because if we've got those, if we've got the support of the sport, it's a much easier conversation to have with the cities. So the trial at entry answered one fundamental question, which is you can lay down this surface and race horses on, yeah. a, on, a, on a roadway that's topped with a, with a synthetic surface. Mm -hmm. That's been proven now to, to a greater or lesser degree. What we don't know is the effect on these cities of, of the event and how you manage the event from a health and safety point of view, both for the horses and for the, for the mass yeah. of spectators. I mean, I don't want to introduce a, a doomsday scenario, but it's one that you will have run through your head a million times. If a horse had an injury, got loose, and then ran into the crowd, this is game over for your event, and it has potentially catastrophic repercussions for racing. No, absolutely. I, listen, we... we doomsday scenarios are all everything that we try and work through. I yeah. mean, because we have to be able to say, 
this is this is we've looked at this and how we're going to manage this and so on and so forth and and certainly the equine welfare part of it is such a such a crucial element to to um, ensuring a success, successful event, not just once, but on a repeated um, basis. And, you know, and we are going, we're, we've set up a veterinary advisory panel to make sure that framework is in place. So, so the equine welfare, um, you know, is, is of the highest standard, the gold standard, if you like. We then have to work with the local councils and each, each, local, each city will have their, their different, differing health and safety um, requirements as you, as you go through it. But we, ha- we have to go through that process of making sure that we, we, we assess all the risk. Ultimately, though, it comes down to us working with the industry. We have to work with the trainers, we have to work with the owners and we have to work with the jockeys. Because, and, uh, you know, as, as you say... It, it, if, if something happens to a, a horse or, or it gets loose and gets into the crowd, you know, it reflects badly on us as an organisation, but it has a wider implications on the sport. So let's all work together to say, don't please don't send me a horse that you know, hasn't seen a crowd before, let alone been in the city centre. You know, don't send me a horse that's been in a in, in the field for six months after after a leg injury. It's all these sorts of things that we need to have. We need to work with the lo- with the trainers and the jockeys and the owners to say, you know, we want a competitive racing situation, but at the same time, we've also got to be sensible for the wider good of the sport because this is this should be seen as a fantastic platform for the sport. For all that, it could be a fantastic platform for the sport and could introduce a, a new audience. I, I quite like the idea simply on the basis that it's a show. That it's a yep. spectacle, that it's something completely off the wall, different to anything you've ever seen before, certainly in modern society. Uh, can you not just sell it on that basis? Yeah, a- absolutely. Of course you can. Um, and and to, to be honest, when we're talking to different audiences, um, that, that's how, that's how you, you change it. You have to have those different, different viewpoints in selling. The city, when you talk to the cities, that's the, that's the selling point. This is going to be a spectacular. This is going to create fantastic imagery for you as a, for, for a city as from the tourism perspective. It's going to draw a load of people into the city centres and it's going to help from an econo- economic impact perspective. You know, it's not just about the horse racing either. It's everything else that we put around it, whether it's food festivals or music or whatever else. Mm. We, we create a proper day out in, in, in the city centres for people to be able to come and enjoy but from the racing from a racing industry perspective, you have to have a slightly different yeah. a different approach um, because you know i 've always said we need the racing industry to come with us, and we need the racing industry to understand that this is you know this is good it's we 're not a threat to the tracks um, you know, in terms of competition um, we should be seen as a, as a positive uh, and and you know racing is an inherently conservative um, sport. So we're always going to have people that are going to be naysayers about this and say, oh, no, this is new. You know, what's wrong with racing? All we need is actually more bigger prize money. Well, I say, well, actually, that's one element of it. But this is another element of it, of of creating a spectacle. You said the other day that you spent half your life trying to run away from horses as as hard as you could because, of course, the rest of your family is completely steeped in all all things equestrian. Is it is it the show aspect of it? Is it the showbiz aspect of this that uh, that attracts you? Uh, partly, yes, but I think it's also um, the biggest thing was the fact that it's never been done before, mm. um, and and but more importantly, it's never been done before. But it can be done, and it mm. can be a success. So it's a challenge. It's absolutely. I mean, it's you know, I I love going to the race. I love going racing. Um, I don't get to do it enough, but the. The simple fact of the matter is, if we can deliver this, um, the challenge has been, you know, for all of us, all of the stakeholders that have been involved in this right from the beginning, it's been how do we make this work? How do we have to amend people's 
traditional thinking to say, actually, no, this is, this is how we're going to do it. Look at things slightly differently to be able to deliver, as you say, a spectacle, which is going to hopefully be fantastic for the sport, but obviously from a business perspective, mm. we hope we'll be financially successful too. With your sports marketing background, with your sports business background, how do you assess the current state of horse racing and its relationship with sponsors, advertisers, all those blue chip companies that it wants to attract? What, what, what's its problem trying to get those? Uh, <laughs> It's a good question. I think I think that the uh, a lot of the blue chip companies um, they they have a fear of association with gambling. I think that's the that, that's probably the the, the biggest assessment. Um, however, you know, I also think that that as a sport, the the communication around we, this is the second biggest spectator sport in the country is not communicated enough. People see it as elite. People see it as, you know, oh, it's all for shake this or shake that or, or um, lord this or lord that. Uh, you know, they don't, they don't um, look at the, the, the huge, huge numbers of people that come, into the, come through the racing gates every week. Um, so I think it, a, a, a possibly a slightly different look, and, but it's very difficult to do that uh, when you've got all the racetracks are looking at their own... The, you know, the, the portfolio through the gate, as it were, the people through the gate, rather than looking at the sport as a, as a bigger picture. So it, it sort of needs to, a bit more of a collaborative approach to say how do we, how do we make this um, more commercially viable for, for people? Because nowadays the corporates are saying, well, we need, we need a return. We need to show a return on investment. How are we going to do that? To do that, we need, it's about data capture. It's about all these things. We need an, a proper engagement across, across that audience that's coming through the gates. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiworld Dubai. Katie Walsh, what a week. Nick, how are you? This, I appreciate it's not the highlight of the week, but that must have been quite something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, was, it was lovely to be recognised in... Uh, you know, very thankful to HRI. Um, you know, I didn't think it was going to happen. We were led there under false pretenses, so... Um, uh, it was it was a lovely night and um, caught myself Nina by surprise anyway. And lovely to, to have the joint award with Nina as well. And your career sort of mirrored one another, ended pretty much mm. at, the, at the same time or within a couple of weeks a of each other? Of each other yeah. A day of a each day other, each other. Yeah. 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 And did either of you know that you were going <clears> to <throat> call it a day? Um, yeah, well, we walked the track. Uh, first day of Punchdown was Tuesday and we were walking the track together as we always did. And uh, Nina said to me, uh, I'm, you know, on Saturday I'm going to, I'm, I'm out and I said I said I'm the same I said to be honest with you I said I've been thinking about it as well and we had a bit of a moment and um, she had a cry and I had a cry and we continued to walk the track and I said I'm out I said when I ride my next winner and um, she said I'm gone by Saturday I never thought I'd ride a winner that week and it's very hard to ride a winner in Punchestown but um, yeah it came around to Friday and um, you know that's racing just the knock-on effect of everything else I think I think Danny was meant to ride Auntie and then I think Noel Feedy was meant to ride Auntie and they both got stood down and then I was just happened to be walking through past the scales and Willie was standing there with David Casey and he said, you're you. And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, do you want to ride Auntie? And I said, yeah. So he said, okay, in you go. So I went in and uh, got my colours and um, it was the second last race on the Friday and he went out and he won and uh, that was it. I said, that's it, I'm, I'm out, I'm done. So, so did he He did he know? Or no, not? he didn't he had know. no inkling at no, all? No, he didn't know, no. I think Ruby... Uh, leaned over to him at one point because um, it was a tight finish, it was only a short head and said, you know, if she's up, um, you know, she's, um, 
she's not going to ride anymore. And really couldn't figure it out. He was didn't know whether it was after doing something wrong or was after breaking the rules. He couldn't figure out what was going on. So, uh, yeah, there was great excitement. So when it was called out that um, I was after winning, um, uh, yeah, I think he figured then that um, that I was he understood what was going on. So when you and Nina had that moment on the track when you both realised each other was retiring mm. within a day of each other, two of the most successful exponents of their craft in, in the amateur ranks, mm. female jockeys at the last 20 years or so, um, do you think there was anything that, 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 that unified the reasons behind you, do, you both doing it at the same time? Um, I suppose life, time. Um, I think... Um, um, I suppose... Nina has a little girl, do you know what I mean? And she's going to face into the in, into the summer, summer racing, the evening meetings, and it's hard to do. Um, for me, you know, I have I do the sales and I do the breeze-ups and that gets really hard and really busy. That's a tough time of year, you know, February, the whole way through, February, March, April, May, and same time of year you were facing into all the festivals and um, I suppose life moves on and time moves on and we thought about it separately I really thought about it after Aintree this year on the drive from Aintree actually which I've done for the last couple of years down to Newmarket because that's when the sale starts, the Craven meeting and um, I was in the back of the car and I was driving down and um, I just was going over in my head thinking I don't know if I can do this again you know this driving over and back and I, I absolutely loved it but definitely the next phase of my life looked like it was going to be the sales and um, going from festival to sale and you know, you've a responsibility, you've got horses now for other people and um, if something happened and you weren't going to be at the sales, you know, that has an effect as well. And, you know, you have to realise that, you know, you can't do everything and you need to, as I tried to do it for as long as I could and I absolutely loved it, but there comes a time where you have to go, right, enough is enough. And we did everything that we wanted to do. Nina was champion lady rider numerous numerous occasions. Um, you know, we rode loads of winners everywhere. We went to Chetlam every year for the last couple of years, you know, so um, um, I think, you know, there comes a point and it was on our own terms, which is, which was very important mm. for both of us. But you as a family must have a, a desperate problem saying no to anything because you're all brilliant multitaskers. I mean, at one point, Ruby held down the two biggest jobs either side of the RSC, which was almost unprecedented mm. for, a, for a national hunt jockey and did so extremely successfully. Your dad trains horses, breeds a few horses does all his TV work at the same time yeah. and goodness knows what else. You, you're consigning horses for the sales, yeah. you were riding, you were yeah. training with yeah. Ross as yeah. well. I, it, it, you're all people who are very capable of doing lots of things at the same time. I suppose, you know, you make sure you're doing it. Do you know what I mean? You're here, you're here today, you're in Sandown yesterday. I met you last week in, in London doing something else. When you love doing something, you want to do it as much as you can. Mm. And it's very hard to say, no, I don't want, you know what I mean? It's, it doesn't feel like, none of, the, none of what you've just said, I can speak for Dad and for Ruby, is work to any of them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Work for Ruby, riding Paul Nicholas's horses on a Saturday and coming home and riding Whaley Mullins's horses on, on a Sunday. People would cut off their left leg for those kind of opportunities. I was. He has nearly done a few times. <laughs> um, you know, like all of all of you said, is an absolute passion and a love mm. for all of us. So I was only trying to do it for the best that I could for as long as I could. But you know, there comes a time where you just have to say, "Enough is enough." Was there any moment at any point during your childhood, your adolescence, your adulthood where you thought, "I'll do something different other than horses"? No, definitely. Um, I don't know anything else. I'm afraid I'm going to be in serious trouble because if I can't do horses, I'd be, I'd be out on the street I'm afraid um, you know it was something that I was um, I always always wanted to work with horses um, I ne never necessarily wanted to be 
a jockey, but I knew I wanted to be out in the yard with dad. And, um, you know, that was that was something that I wanted to do. And I absolutely loved it. Um, and then I only got my license because um, I'd like to get my amateur license and I would have liked to have ridden in a race. And, you know, lucky enough, I was I had a winner for dad in a horse called Hannah in an amateur flat race down in Gorn. And then I had a couple of rides for dad and a couple of lady races. And then um, I rode one for Willie one day, a, a mare called Avoca Mist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, very early on, and uh, she won. And uh, she won in Thurles, a uh, ladies race in Thurles. And then he let me ride her in a winner's bumper in Fairy House. And the same year, he let me ride her in April in the in the in Aintree in the Good Mare's Hurdle. Like, that was a huge call. You know what I mean? He didn't have to. It was a professional race in Aintree. I was barely an amateur, only pointing him in the right direction and, you know, hoping that they were good enough. But, you know, that was that's the kind of man he is. Like, he said, no, you're after winning on twice, you can ride him in Aintree. It's the same year, actually, that Ruby won the National on Hedgehunter. So I think it didn't matter. <laughs> by, the time the hurt, by the time the bumper came round, it didn't quite matter what I did. It, all the, the pressure was off. All the pressure was off. Hedgehunter was after coming across the line in front. But, um, but yeah, only f- for, for him, really, uh, my career and for that and loads of other people would have been, I would have been tipping around probably in the yard and riding in a couple of lady races here and there. Opportunities. When you first got the leg up on a few in, in proper races, did you feel like you belonged instantly or did you think, what am I doing here? No, I never felt like what I was, thankful I was there. I never felt like, what am I doing here? I was like, this is just brilliant to be here. You know, I'm just so happy to be, you know, to to ride in Chatham. I never thought I would ride a winner in Chatham. Actually, when I rode a winner in Chatham in November for Eric McNamara on a horse called Hordago, I thought mm. I died on to heaven. I thought that was my march. You know, that amateur race in November was without doubt the highlight. And I never thought I would ride one in Chetland itself at the festival because it's so hard. There's so many people who ride out their claims and ride their entire lives who never have a winner there. So when the phone rang from Ferdy Murphy to ride Pokestabola in the four mile, you know, I you know, I had no ride that week and I got the phone call on the Sunday and the race was the Wednesday and I was like, absolutely, I'd love to. There you are, just over your left shoulder. Yeah, yeah. It was a very special moment for you. It was a, a pulsating race to watch as well. Yeah, it was. And something, something in you and Nina Carberry jumping the last together and giving it everything from there to the line, it, it seemed like a bit of a game changer, really. I know you rail against the idea of being a, a pioneer in any, in any way for, for female jockeys, but it, I think it was a bit of a game changer. Yeah, I didn't realise at the time how much press it was after getting at home. I think the fact that... Um, Nina obviously was riding because because I couldn't see. And um, I think the fact that, you know, it's the four mile, it's steeped in history. It's a race that every amateur wants to win. And um, I think the fact that we jumped the second last upsides and down to the last and there was the two of us upsides and it was neck and neck, you know, I think it was just great excitement. And, um, um, yeah, it was it probably was a change. Nina had ridden um, a winner in Chetland before and... Um, but she was delighted for me to ride a winner. You know, obviously, she would have loved to have won it herself. Who wouldn't have? But I think the fact that I hadn't ridden a winner before, she was as happy. If it was going to be someone, she was happy that it was me. Do you think you became a better jockey because of her? Definitely. She upped the game for everybody. Um, she, When she was riding, um, you know, she rode in pony races and then she changed. She obviously got her amateur licence and she rode a couple for her dad and then she... Um, rode from then on all the bumper horses for Noel Mead and um, but 
her first winner was the Ladies Derby in the Curra, and she was always so stylish. And she just upped it to a different level. And if you wanted to compete, you, um, it's like everything. Everyone wants to be, mm. you know. So I kind of looked to her and said, "Well, if I'm going to survive, I need to be, I need to be aiming at at Nina." So she upped the game again. So I would have thought, from a style point of view, Nina definitely upped the ante for every girl. And I only know her in a, in a professional capacity, really, but she seems just incredibly even as well. So the, the highs aren't too high and the lows aren't too low. That, well, that's at least the appearance that she gives. Oh, so yeah. it's, quite a, it's quite, a, qu- quite a nice way to be as a sports person. Yeah, it is. But um, I think that's the way you have to be in racing, isn't it? It's, 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 a, it's a great leveller. You, know, you, you, know, you never get too big for, for your boots because you don't know what's going to happen. We were really talking about it the other day. Her first winner was Dabaroon for Paul Nolan in a hurdle race in Chatham, and she was actually went over originally to ride in the bumper the next day. Yeah. A horse called Karanja, was it? Mm. And it was favourite. And our second favourite. And he whipped at the start and mm. he dropped her. Victor Dartnell's horse, yeah. You know, she was devastated, naturally enough. But, you know, to ride a winner the day before, to, you know, thinking, you know, this is, you know, here I am, you know. You never think in racing, I have arrived, you know, like this, because you just never know what's going to happen. And, you know, that's, it's great life lessons, horse racing is. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Ah, oh, welcome back. Nearly, you nearly got proof that we do actually eat the croissants on this programme. But I'm not happy with the freshness. I am happy with my guest, special guest, Nikki Henderson. Morning. Good, good morning and welcome. You said to me earlier in the week, if I come on your programme, you can guarantee that I'll get out of your beaten on Saturday. It didn't happen. We didn't buck you. What a wonderful day. It was a great day. It was wet, wasn't it? But, um, no, it was great to see him back like that. Um, he had been in great form, I have to admit. We'd had a good preparation. But it was testing old stuff, so it mm. was for... It was for brave boys as well as good boys. He is good. He is brave. Um, how is he this morning? Because he lost a shoe yesterday, didn't he? He did. He, I have to say he wasn't quite sound this morning when he put the shoe back on, but it's just come back off and they're going to say they're perfectly happy. It'll be just a poultice and he'll be fine. But it just goes to show the anxieties of being a racehorse trainer. You're, you're full of elation and... Well, he actually did, it, did, did exactly this on the Monday before... The champion chase, mm. and, and he was he was lame on the Monday morning, but he was sound on the Tuesday. So these things happen. They're only just to make life a little bit more stressful. Is it? Is he one of those? Has he got an inclination to do? No, that, no that was just bad luck. He lost a shoe in the race. That doesn't matter. I mean, it, losing a shoe in a, in that sort of ground, a it's very easy to. It's it's stuck somewhere down in Isha. Um, uh, but it, it doesn't affect them. I mean, you keep reading about lost shoe. Well, losing shoes in that ground makes no difference. It, it, it doesn't. They don't. You can run without them, to be honest with you. Now, we looked at this extensively, but it's well worth looking at time and time again. And Katie Walsh made the point, and you made the point to the owners of the runner-up, that Anderso really made it a great horse race and, and gave us context, gave us a, an idea of what Altior had actually achieved. It was. I mean, he's a... Earned this sir, in this ground is. I remember when Sprinter had a, the champion chase in his comeback year, year where the ground had quickened up, and and you know that Earned this sir, isn't that you know, fast. He's not a top of the ground horse, but when he gets that sort of ground, um, he's a very very hard horse to get past. And when you've got Ruby um, dictating a race like this, 
you know you've also got a problem on your hands because he's the past master at, mm. at, at, at pace judgment and he, he's put the race in, he's got it exactly where he wants it he can stack it up, he can quicken it up, he can slow it down and he's, he's very very good at it but Nico was very cool there um, and you know he's just eased him into it and he always had that, luckily he does have gears and, and even in that ground they did to an extent work after the last he went, he went well away and that was impressive. You mentioned Nico, and it, it's an interesting point, this, because he's been associated latterly uh, as the rider of Sprinter Sacra on the race course, prior to that the rider of Sprinter Sacra off the race course. Now he's the regular partner of Altior. He's ridden some of your very best horses to great success. He's got an amazing record at the, at the Cheltenham Festival, yet he chooses to keep quite a, a low profile. And, uh, do you think it's that and his cool-headedness that has actually enabled him to get where he's got? I think he is. I mean, he's, he's become... Not, he always was a very good horseman. Um, now I think he's become a very tactically savvy jockey. Um, he's very good at race reading um, and judgment. Um, he knows all our horses very well, and I mean, he's sort of he's a very loyal. He 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 he's virtually with us every day. I mean, there are lots of days nothing happening. Go and do something else, but. He knows the horses inside out because he's with them mm. every day. He's schooling most. And we've got a great team of jockeys. I mean, it's a fantastic squad. Um, and they all do their bit. You can't just have one man. You, we need lots. And um, But he, he does his homework. He knows his horses. He knows what everybody else is doing. Um, I, I think he's become very streetwise throughout a race as well as being a, a super horseman. I mean, I don't think anybody is better over an obstacle than he is, and it's a joy to watch. But w watching Altior schooling the other morning, I can't say that was a joy. It was, it was wonderful, it was spectacular, but it was scary. In what way? Well, he jumped five fences, and that was very good. I would have left it at that, but he hadn't got inside the wings in any, at all five fences. Nico said he wanted to do it again. I didn't really see the point, but if he thought he needed to do it again, fine. He did it again, he just did it 50 miles an hour faster. And it was... But again, he just got close to one. He's so quick in and out. Mm. He's, he is very accurate with his jumping now. He just... He only did one silly thing yesterday, which was at that first ditch. I mean, he jumped about eight foot over it. Well, he did it there before. Mm. It was a wonderful picture, but he got too high yesterday and, and nearly didn't come far enough out the other side. But as Nico said, then he went straight to the downhill fence and winged it. And because that mistake just sort of... Here we go. I've got to concentrate. Oh, <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> but yeah, it, well, does, it does give you an indication of the, the, the almost extraordinary and extraterrestrial scope this horse has. He has got that scope. reach. Yeah, he has, and he can come from anywhere. Um, and, and when you're jumping out of that ground, don't forget, it's even harder, you know, say what we were schooling on and what he was racing on are two completely different things. Um, that is hard work to jump out of that ground. Um, and 
I mean, it's the same for all of them, but you, you've got to, you've got to, that, if you've got that scope, it, 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 it gets you out of all sorts of trouble. Now, we were being very mischievous earlier on, teasing you about whether this horse might turn up in a, in a King George, and, of course, it would be something that would sell out the track three times over and we'd all love to see it. Is it, is it a realistic possibility, do you think? Well, on the grounds that we knew the question was going to arise this morning, um, we, Nico, Pat and Chris Pugh and myself, we sat down after racing last night and had a long a long discussion and certainly I mean it's been I think I think Pat would say come on what have we got to lose my worry would actually be more than anything I'd love to have a go if it was in a month's time I don't think there'd be any doubt we would mm. I cannot believe that for whatever however comfortably he might have won yesterday that he is going to come out of that in 17 days time and you know, not a little bruised from yesterday. Um, going that gallop in heavy ground has to have taken something out of him. Um, and it's his first run. I always think they need a little bit more time. You, you don't want to come back too quick after your first run. Um, it's very tempting. And I, I, we, we left him in on Tuesday, so you know we, we've still. I don't say we we ruled it out last night, but we virtually did. Um, he's got time on his side, and I know we can be accused of wrapping him up in cotton wool. But uh, you know, there's a one obvious race for him um, at Cheltenham, which is the is the, is the is the champion chase, and I mean that's the only thing that really matters. There are things we can do, we'd like to do afterwards. Um, one day, I, I think certainly I'd, I'd like to take it. You'd like to go to two and a half first, but that wouldn't prove an awful lot. He's going to get that. We know that. Entry wouldn't really tell us a whole heap, would it? Um, by going two and a half round there. Um, so, as I say, if it was in a month's time um, and on decent ground, I'd say we would almost certainly be doing it. But. I think 17 days is a is a tall order, um, and I'm afraid I'm going to say that I suspect it's very unlikely. If he ends up running over further, is he the sort of horse that you think is so adaptable and settles so well and is such a complete athlete that you could almost see him winning a Gold Cup? Well, you know, Paul has done it with those horses that have won this the the. the quarter stars and things could do the same thing and I do think he could I don't know about a gold cup I think three and a quarter around Cheltenham especially if it was soft like you saw it last year um, you've got to stay and you've got to stay really really well don't forget I don't think just because the King George is around Kempton I remember Mick always said this it's actually you probably have to stay every bit as well round Kempton as you do round Cheltenham. Well, you've had some brilliant horses beaten in the King George. Remittance Man didn't stay in the King George. Travado exactly. didn't stay in the King George. Yeah. Came there cantering two out. Yeah. Because you never get a breather. It's a, it's a flat-out gallop from Blackpool. Mm. There are no breathers. There's no spaces. There's, there's no room to take a break. You've got to just gallop for three miles. On a lot of these other courses, like Cheltenham, you know, you've always got places you can just have a little fill-up. Mm. Um, and um, just put round Kempton, there is none. You've just got to bust yourself. And 
you've got to stay every bit. It's not. It's it's a fallacy to think that because it's on an easy three miles that you don't need to stay properly. You need to stay every bit as well. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.